Hello, ABC Church. My name is Matt, and I get to work with the youth here. Uh, welcome to today's service. And I have a couple quick announcements for you before we get started. And the first one is this, Awaken. Our Awaken conference is coming up November 11th and 12th, and we are so excited for it. We're expecting to have about 300 kids on campus, and it's gonna be amazing. If you've ever been, you know it's awesome, but here's the deal. We need two things from you. One, we need you to register your kid if you haven't yet. So you can sign up online on our website um, and sign up your kid there. It costs $85, go please do that now so we know what to plan for. The second thing we need from you is we need volunteers, man. This event does not run without volunteers. And so if you're able to, we'd ask that you just hop in and you get involved. If you can't be there on Friday or Saturday, that's totally fine. You can bake cookies and drop them off at the church. And, and we would love that. And if you can serve on Saturday and Friday, um, we'd ask that you would just email kelsey at abcchurch.org. And from there, I mean, we need hosts to help run master's classes. We have a ton of activities in the parking lot that we need volunteers for. Um, so we could use a lot of hands. And if you have hands and you're able to, please just email kelsey at abcchurch.org and we can get you involved. The second thing I wanna let you guys know about is Angel Tree. You know, Christmas is coming up here pretty quick and Angel Tree is an opportunity for us as a church uh, to come alongside those in need. This is for kids who might be in the foster system, um, for kids whose parents might be incarcerated, or just for people who may have had a rough year. Uh, this is a time where we get to come alongside them and help make Christmas awesome by contributing some gifts. And so if you're interested in that, November 20th is when you would pick your angel and November 27th is when you would drop off the gifts for that. And so if you're interested in getting involved, um, just be on the lookout for those dates. And then the second thing is we're trying to make a list right now of people who might need that extra love this season. And so if you know anybody who may have had a rough year or might just use the extra help, email janjohnson at abcchurch.org and we can get them uh, on that list, which would be awesome. Uh, that's it for me. Here's Jake Ellis with the message. So glad you're watching today. I want to talk about the corrective lenses that we need for our spiritual sight. When I was four, I got my first pair of glasses and I was, you know, yay high and my eyes were starting to cross um, involuntarily, obviously, and which to me sounds adorable, but obviously isn't something you want to keep going for the rest of your life. So I got glasses. My uncle was an optometrist, so we went down to his place and he hooked us up with my first pair of glasses. And it's been a constant throughout my whole life. I had contacts for a season in middle school, um, but they were too dry and seemed like too much of a hassle when you had a long day in the windy desert where I was from. It just was too much of a pain to keep up on having contacts. Plus 6 a.m. in the morning and you're like sticking like a wet finger into your eye, I still just haven't been able to get past that. Um, LASIK scares me because of robots, needless to say. So I'm a glasses guy through and through. If you've had glasses like me, you know that every couple of years you go, or however often, you go back to the optometrist and you get a checkup. And one of the reasons is because your prescription is always changing. The level of correction that you need in your eyes is always changing. And for me, it's getting from better to worse, ultimately. That's the trajectory that I've been on and seems to be the trajectory that I'm on and I think that we're on for the rest of our lives. Our vision gets from better to worse. The older I get, the more often I take off my glasses and just think, wow, I am blind. I need correction in my eyes. So I need this regular rhythm of checkups so that I get the corrective lenses that I need. I think that's our physical default as humans. I think another default as humans is toward spiritual blindness. 
It's what Galatians would call the flesh battling against the spirit, making it hard for us to see who God is and what he's doing. So it's like me without my glasses struggling to keep my eyes from going crossed. I think that's just how humanity is bent. So on one hand, at salvation, I think we can all identify with Paul on the Damascus Road where we have something like scales that falls off our eyes and it's like amazing grace, right? I was blind, but now I see. There's this powerful instantaneous moment where God grants us vision. Yet at the same time, we can also identify with Paul in Romans 7 where he's struggling to keep clear vision, where his vision for the gospel is getting cloudy. There's battle between sin and holiness and what we want to do and what we're actually doing. I think we started off blind, and if we don't fight to consistently see clearly, I think our default is to relapse back into spiritual blindness, back into not seeing God as he is or what he's doing as he's doing it. So what we need is this constant checkup in order to have the right corrective lenses for our spiritual sight. That's where we're going to land, but we're going to talk about two kinds of blindness today, physical and spiritual. The passage starts with two guys who are actually physically blind, and then it ends with the Pharisees and their inability to see things as they truly are. Number one, physical blindness. Look at Matthew 9, 27 through 31. And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus sternly warned them, See that no one knows about it. But they went away and spread his fame through all that district." See, with physical blindness, your eyes may not work, but your heart is open. As Ephesians 1 would allude to, the eyes of your heart are able to see what's true. Now, there's a few really interesting things about this scene immediately. One is that for these two blind men, they're the first ones in the gospel narratives to use this strongly messianic term for Jesus, son of David. This speaks to his royalty and to fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Like in Isaiah 9, remember kind of the big Christmas passage? We see the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. The increase of his government and his peace will have no end. And listen to the next part. On the throne of David and over his kingdom. There's prophecy about a king coming who sits ultimately in the Davidic line, the family line of David. For us, what does this mean? The son of David lots of times just sounds like another really Bible-y term for Jesus. But when you read that in the Gospels, I want you to think, Jesus is the king. When you hear someone say, son of David, think, Jesus is the king. It's incredible just how clearly these guys could see who Jesus was for not being able to see at all. I just think that's fascinating. Another thing is to realize that throughout the Old Testament, just for context, every example of blindness was given in the context of being judged or punished for sin. So today, blindness might elicit sympathy or compassion or even pity, but in this context, it wouldn't have. It would only elicit judgment. And now I get judgmental of these first century Jews for being judgmental of the blindness, but I think we ought to have a little bit more understanding because that's the, the scripts that they were raised with. If someone was blind, 
the only context they had for that was they were being judged or punished because of sin. So for them, it would only elicit judgment. People were certain that there was some sin involved. So they would likely ask, okay, who sinned here? Was it these men or was it their parents? And now it's interesting because if you're watching this and you're a first century Jew who's familiar with Old Testament scriptures, you would realize what we see now, what we see now is that Jesus came to heal physical ailments for sure, but also to reverse the effects of sin. And a lot of times we think of that pretty sequentially. So like Jesus, he, he healed them. He healed this person, this person, this person. And then on the cross and in the tomb, he reversed the effects of sin. But if you're watching this moment, you realize that Jesus may have been doing both of these things in the same moment, healing this physical ailment and in doing so, also potentially reversing the effects of sin as it had played out in these men's blindness. That should make you just think, Jesus, regardless of if there was sin or not involved, we don't really know. Jesus is very powerful and he is very, very good. Next thing that stands out to me is the directness of his question. He says, do you believe I'm able to do this? And then the firm resolve of their answer. They just say, yes, Lord. Again, they can see what's possible even as blind as they may have been. I just think that's beautiful. And last, I think this is more funny than it is interesting, but the first thing that they do after being healed, I don't know if you realize this, the first thing they do after being healed by Jesus is they disobey Jesus, right? And this isn't an isolated event. Lots of times Jesus says, okay, don't go tell anybody. It's not time. And then they go tell people, and I'm not celebrating their disobedience, but I just honestly appreciate it because I really feel like I can identify after encountering the healing touch of Jesus, still having this propensity to disobey. Can't you identify with that? Now, what do we do with this scene ultimately? What do we do with the scene so far? I think we just do the same thing anytime we encounter the power and the goodness of Jesus. I think we are called to worship him. We respond with thankfulness, with gratitude. We respond with obedience, with submission. And if that's all that you do today, as you're listening to this, wherever you're at, at home, in the car, whatever, if you just hear, okay, Jesus can heal physical blindness, you just respond with worship and thanksgiving and obedience and submission. Man, if that's all we do today, we're in good shape. Man, that's enough. But the scene does keep going. And it moves from a point of physical healing, which is not in any way inadequate. That's epic, that's unbelievable. But Matthew then moves on from that point to tell a story about not the physical blindness, but our spiritual blindness, about the inner life. Number two, let's talk about spiritual blindness. In verses 32 through 34, it says this, As they were going away, behold, a demon-possessed man who was mute was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke. And the crowds marveled, saying, Never was anything like this seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, he casts out demons by the prince of demons. One of my favorite things about election season is attack ads uh, for people's campaigns. You know how it goes, like it starts off and the, and the screen is in color and it kind of says some assumption you have about the opposing person running and then all of a sudden the music changes and the ball drops and it goes to black and white and it says, but really this is the truth. You know, it's like, it's like John Smith thinks he's about the environment, but did you know 
that he eats cats, and he makes coats out of real dogs just like Cruella DeVille. Last year alone, he ate 100,000 cats. You know, it's just like the most ridiculous thing ever. It's like in the face of pressure and the face of potentially losing control, it's like candidates just lash outward and they say the most insane, ridiculous things about the other party and it just makes you cringe and feel embarrassed for their whole marketing team. Sometimes I'm tempted to vote just based on attack ads and just who had the best one and who had the most clever one. But that's, I'm just kidding, I'm not gonna do that. That's how this passage reads to me though. It's like the Pharisees are just trying to make an attack ad for Jesus. It's like, Jesus claims to be healing people, but did you know he works for Satan? The choice is yours, you know? It's insane. Later on in the book of Matthew in chapter 23, Jesus reaches a bit of a breaking point with just how ridiculous the rhetoric is coming from the Pharisees. This is kind of pieced together from Matthew 23. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter go in. Woe to you, listen to this, blind guides, who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, you blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. You hear this refrain again and again and again. He says, you guys are blind. You just get the sense that this tension has been building. Since his first encounter with the Pharisees, Jesus again and again just realizing you guys are blind. You don't get it. You don't see how it is. You don't see what God's doing. You don't see the truth for what it is. So with spiritual blindness, you may be able to see physically, but again, Ephesians 1, the eyes of your heart, those are closed. Those are shut. You're unable to see the truth about who God is or what he's doing in the world. Ultimately, it's because you think you're right about everything. The Pharisees thought they were right about everything. They were so certain, had such a firm grasp on control, which means you can't see your own blind spots. That's why they're called blind spots. You can't see where you're wrong. You don't see the ways that you might need correction. You might need the corrective lenses, the checkups for your spiritual vision. And so the question is, if we see what it looks like for Jesus to heal physical blindness, the question I think for the Pharisees and for you and me today, what would it look like to heal spiritual blindness? Because that's really what this passage is. It, it's two quick tales about blindness. First, there's physical blindness between the two actual blind men. And then after he healed, and I don't want to breeze past the fact that he healed a mute man, right? Like that's a huge deal and he casts out a demon. But isn't it crazy how Matthew says it, almost like it's an afterthought. He doesn't even say that Jesus cast the demon out. It just breezes past it like, and when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke. I think it's pointing to the Pharisees' blind response, their spiritual blindness. So what does it look like to heal spiritual blindness? Let me read Ephesians 1, 18 through 23. Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. 
That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Second Corinthians 5, 7 adds on that we walk by faith not by what? Sight. Here's what these ideas in these passages would look like to me. If I put those into a chart, charts are helpful for me. I'm a chart guy. Here's what that looks like for me. Spiritual vision. Look, according to Matthew 9, this scene that we see play out. Spiritual vision believes that Jesus can heal and responds with proclamation. They say, yes, Lord, we believe you're able to do this. And then they proclaim it afterwards. Spiritual blindness sees the evidence, but has to reach for an explanation. He casts them out by the prince of demons. Spiritual vision walks by faith in an all-seeing God, 2 Corinthians tells us. But blindness walks by limited and imperfect human sight. If you look at Ephesians 1, spiritual vision lives with hope for today because of eternity with Jesus. But the opposite of that, blindness, means that you're a victim to cynicism and fear, lacking eternal perspective. Vision, according to verse 21 of Ephesians 1, it means you trust Jesus as sovereign over the present age. But the opposite of that means you're emotionally tethered to the instability of human rule and authority. Vision would believe that the church is the answer and a healthy body is worth fighting for. Whereas blindness believes that the church is the problem and a healthy body is impossible. So let me ask us today, how is your spiritual vision? How is your ability to see who God is, his character, your ability to see what he's doing in the world? Not just at the point of salvation, not just at the, okay, the scales fell off, I was blind, but now I see, it's amazing. But I mean like Monday morning, like just, just a terribly average day. Like how is your spiritual sight then? Are you seeing the hope to which he has called you? Or is your vision too clouded by cynicism? Are you seeing Jesus as supreme over all things or are your glasses too fogged up by fear? Do I still see the church as the body of Christ, that he dwells within this assembly? Or am I tempted to toss this out with the bathwater of hypocrisy and moral failure? Do I see the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit living in me? Or does God look distant and uninvolved in my life? Sometimes I swear I'm going blind. It's like I'm taking off my glasses and just realizing, wow, it's getting worse. My cynicism trumps my hope. My fear overwhelms my faith. I tether my heart to things that I can't really trust. I put my security in things that are unable to carry the weight that I give to them. I tempted to give up on people to doubt the church. I let go of conviction because compromise is easier to hold on to. See, far too often, I worry that my spiritual vision is about as clear as it was for the Pharisees in Matthew chapter nine. And so I hear Ephesians one, this prayer from Paul. I just hear that, man, as the prescription I need, it's sight for my eyes and it's life for my soul saying, open the eyes of my heart, God. 
Would my heart be able to see things clearly? That is my prayer. Help me see, not just physically, but spiritually. Let me see what's true. Let me see what's true about you. Let me see what's true about what you're doing in the world, God. And that leads me to this thought. If physical blindness requires the healing touch of Jesus, here's the idea I want to close with. That spiritual blindness requires the corrective lenses of Scripture and the Spirit. Spiritual blindness requires the corrective lenses of Scripture and the Spirit. And I think the Pharisees of today are the ones who are unwilling to submit to either. You and me, when we're tempted toward a pharisaical practice and belief and life and identity, what that means is that we are unwilling to submit to either. It means that we know what we think and we refuse to be wrong. That's the most striking thing to me about this passage is I sat with it, wrestled with it, realized, okay, it's another healing story of Jesus. That's incredible. That's beautiful. But what is it about this passage that's striking to me? And it's the tragically blind response of the Pharisees. That's the thing that strikes me the most and the thing I most want to battle against for myself. I know what I think about stuff. I know how I see my life. But the question is, am I humble enough to recognize that sometimes I need correction? Sometimes what I think might not be how it is. Sometimes my vision gets fuzzy and I don't see things clearly. Am I humble enough, again, to take all my thoughts and opinions and predispositions to the scriptures and under the illumination of the spirit, am I willing to be corrected again and again and again and again? That needs to be the trajectory of the rest of my life, of my formation in Christ. It needs to be a humble willingness with the partnership of the Spirit, with the Scripture open in front of me to go to it, lay my life before it and say, okay, Word of God, Spirit through it, would you correct me again and again and again? Here's the, the pieces of my character that need trimming and, and the rough edges that need sharpening. God, would you correct me again and again? Will I continually take my cloudy vision and submit it to His clarity? Or do I just want to live like a Pharisee? I can't tell you how many times I've gone to the optometrist in my life and I've looked at one of these charts, you know, with the big E on top and the FP and it gets smaller and smaller and it gets harder to read and you feel dumb the, you know, the further down you go on the chart. And they put the things over your eyes, right, on the big machine that kind of rests too heavy on your nose. They put it over your eyes and they keep on changing lenses. Okay, which looks better, that or that? Okay, that one does. This or this? Okay, that one does. The thing is, I'm going to do that probably for the rest of my life. Because every time I go, what I realize is that my eyes need some correction. Every time I go, I humbly submit to the recommendation of the optometrist and I get the corrective lens that I need for my eyes. Here's my prayer for us. May we continually humble ourselves before the word of God. It is the checkup that we need for the rest of our lives, the corrective lenses that we need for our tendency towards spiritual blindness. God's word is a lamp for our feet, a light for our path, sight for our eyes, and it's life for our souls. May we heed its correction. May we humbly submit to it. May we measure it against our lives consistently and fall greater and greater and greater into confirmation to the image of Jesus. Let me pray. 
God, thank you so much for the story today. It's a real story that really happened. Um, you, through um, yourself incarnate, through, through Jesus walking around on earth, you encountered these blind men. You encountered a demon-possessed guy who was mute, and you healed all three of them. Um, God, I, I don't want that ever to be lost on us. I'm floored by your power and by your mercy and your goodness for people. And Lord, I'm struck by the blindness of the Pharisees in response. What they could have seen so clearly, the power of God working in front of them, they refused. And they had to reach for an explanation and they had to throw wild accusations at you like an attack ad. Um, God, I'm struck by that and, and may that never be the posture of my heart. Lord, for my own tendency to not see things clearly, um, to be spiritually blind, God, would you keep my heart soft, open, humble? Would we as a church continually submit to the correction of your word, to the corrective lenses we have in the scriptures and in the Holy Spirit? God, we love you. Make us more like Jesus today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.